God. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning our focus is going to be on verse 13. This is the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. It's the third petition related to us and our needs. In this petition, as we've already read, it addresses and deals with temptation. Temptation. That we would beseech God who is sovereign over all and all things not to lead us into temptation. And to deliver us from evil. There are three presuppositions that are vital to understanding this petition if we are going to pray it rightly. I don't think we're going to get through all three of these presuppositions this morning. But we're certainly going to give it a good go. And at least we should cover the first one. The first presupposition that we need to have in order for us to pray this petition rightly is the presupposition that we are in great need and have many weaknesses. We are in great need. That is, this petition, like the other two petitions before it, all address our needs. Our need for God to bless us with daily bread. The need that we have for God to bless our everyday activities. It's not enough just to work and to labor. But brothers and sisters as Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ. As those who have been adopted into the heavenly father's kingdom. We beseech him to bless the very labor and the work of our hands. That makes our life meaningful in and of itself. We're not just busy, busy bees, are we? We're not just busy doing this, going here and doing that. That God is actually blessing our activity. He's blessing our lives and He's causing those blessings to have a significant impact upon us as we seek to glorify and enjoy Him, brothers, now and forever. We have the need for forgiveness. We know this. The need for daily walking with our Heavenly Father in repentance. Always renewing our obedience to Him every day. Every day. We know this because this is what Jesus taught us to pray. This wasn't the prayer that Jesus prayed. This is the prayer that He teaches us to pray. This is the prayer that He teaches sinners who are saved by grace to pray. I spent a whole Sunday morning dealing with and addressing what a disciple is. This prayer is for disciples. We're to walk in the confession of sin. We're to walk with a sensitivity and a renewed sensitivity daily because of our moral failures and offenses to God and others. And now we are addressing 
brothers and sisters, the need we have to be careful and watchful and mindful of the kingdom of God, of our own weaknesses, and the enemy that seeks to devour and to destroy us. Now what what is a presupposition? A presupposition a presupposition is a predetermined conviction. It doesn't have to be truth because you can have presuppositions that are absolutely wrong. Okay, they can be absolutely wrong. Okay, but you're convinced of them. Presuppositions are those predetermined convictions. Now, we want them to be based upon what? Truth. We want them to be true, right? It's not fun living life in deception. And when we have presuppositions that are not based upon truth and God's reality, guess what? We're deceived. We're deceived and we go around living in deception and deceiving others because we relate and deal with others according to those what? Presuppositions. So a presupposition is simply a predetermined conviction. Conviction. Now we want to make sure as Christians that our convictions rest solely upon the revealed will of Almighty God who is truth and everlasting truth. But there's another issue here that prayer in and of itself advocates. And that is, that is you might say, our presuppositions must also rest upon a bedrock of one characteristic, particularly as it addresses prayer. And that trait and characteristic is that of humility. Humility. The very fact that we would humble ourselves before God in prayer. Right? What an expression of humility. That when we would go to God on our knees, whether physically or in your heart, we would acknowledge that, Lord, everything I put my hands to is for nothing without your blessing. I mean, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how good you are at whatever it is you are doing. Without God's blessing, there's no satisfaction in it. There's no substance to it. You know, the world has a term for this. I want to see if you recognize it. It's called the rat race. Rat race. It's just that mindless, busy activity that thousands and millions of people participate in every day because they lack a relationship with Jesus Christ and they have no satisfaction. See, when you have that, it doesn't matter if you are sweeping floors, it doesn't matter if you're cleaning restrooms. It doesn't matter if you're working on computers, driving a train, or preaching the gospel. The only thing that makes all of that 
the only thing that gives that substance and satisfaction and meaning is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Him, that communion and fellowship that we have with Christ and our Heavenly Father. Let me say a few more things about humility because I find this important in our day and time because I believe that there is a need. It's not, you know, we say, well, we all need to be humble. It's true. We do. And we know that humility is the opposite of pride and arrogance, right? And we see that everywhere. We're guilty of it, aren't we? We're guilty of pride. We're guilty of our own arrogance. And we know we need to be humble. But do we really know what humility is? Do we really understand it? In fact, what I would like to at least present to you is that the Christian church, by and large in America, is guilty of a false humility that is not only fake and cheap and graceless, but it's offensive to God. It's offensive to God because it's not real. It's fake. It still has that, that, how that power of look at me, look at me, acknowledge me. Well, let me give you, that is, that is this fake humility that, that masquerades is nothing more than pride masquerading as humility. It's nothing more than another exhibition of one's pride, just in a different format and form. Face, fake humility. Let me just give you a, a couple of little things. Fake humility is best known as that kind of thinking that must ignore the talents and graces one possesses. Just ignore them. That is, if you just say, I'm a worm, I'm no good, I don't have anything good about me, there is nothing about me you would ever find worthy of emulating. That's that worm theology that really has infected the reform camps. And that idea that, oh, woe is me. And in fact, there seems to be often competitions who can get the lowest. Who can, who can, who can pick out the worst of themselves and, well, they are the most humble. Well, it's fake and it's nothing more than pride masquerading itself as one's own, um, creativity, right? Now, there's another aspect of fake humility. That fake humility never truly rejoices over the accomplishments of others. Never. It's pretended. Because fake humility harbors inward resentment toward those who don't share their downcast viewpoints. And because they don't have their version of humility, inwardly they are despised. If he was humble, he or she wouldn't rejoice in that good deed. Because, brothers and sisters, even though these things are true, 
That is, whatever a person may be rejoicing in the deeds and the talents that God has given them. Those are true things. They resent them. And they put them down as being no big deal. I could do that too. You see, but I'm humble. And I I won't do it. Now, I've just described a lot of people. So let's counter that with what real humility is. Paul had no problem telling the saints in whatever church he was ministering to to emulate himself. Paul never exalted himself as a saint of saints. In fact, Paul said, I have not yet arrived in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I have not yet been glorified. I've not yet been fully matured. And I I press onward to the high calling that is for me in Christ Jesus. But yet I want you to emulate me in the good that you see in me. What Christ is doing in me, I want you to follow along suit so that you too might glorify your heavenly Father as I glorify my heavenly Father and our heavenly Father. See, Paul had no problem with that. But true humility, brothers and sisters, is simply an agreement with what is true. Now I'm going to unfold that to you. It's an agreement with what is true, whether it be negative or positive. Who was the most humble person to ever walk the face of the earth? I think we would all say it was Jesus Christ. And yet he was the most gifted and the most talented and the most spectacular man to ever walk the face of the earth. Gifted and graced with all power and glory. Everything about him shined to the glory of God. Everything that he said glorified his heavenly father. Everything he did magnified God's glory. Everything. Not one millisecond of his earthly life did he ever, ever sin against God. He glorified God perfectly in every way. And yet we see him in debate. We see him in argument over the truth. We see him defending the glory of God. We see him correcting others, rebuking others, and even praising others. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about because I think it'll become a little clearer to you. It's the acceptance of that truth as reality prompting our admission of it. That is, when when God makes a statement of truth, it ought to prompt what from us? An admission of it. This is true. That is glorious. That is evil. That is wicked. That is when God... What is truth? Truth is the reality as God says it is. That's truth. When God says something about anything, guess what? It's called truth. Whatever God says about the world, whatever God says about Satan, whatever God says about temptation, whatever God says about prayer, whatever God says about you and me and certain characteristics, guess what? It's true. And what it 
What does humility do? True humility? It admits it. It's, it, it's an admission to it. True humility makes an admission that what God says is so. Without equivocation, without any justification, without any, um, um, without any way of trying to get around it. It's, ex- it's subjection to it. Subjection to it. It's not only just an admission of it, because we would be willing to do that, wouldn't we? We all are willing to do what? Admit that God is right. Right? We're willing to do that. We are Christians. We've been trained enough. We've heard enough truth. We have been exposed to enough truth to be what? Aware of the fact that we need to admit that God is true. We know this. But we also must take another step in humility. Humility must be an acceptance of that truth. It's not enough to just admit it. Hmm. Because there's a lot of people that admit to truth, brothers and sisters, and stink with pride and arrogance. They, they, they carry the stench of pride and arrogance. We must, we must subject ourselves to it. We must. What does it mean to subject ourselves? It means to put ourselves under it. It's to become our head. It's to become our guidance. It's to become our lamp. It's to become our light. It's to become our conviction. Subjection. Your will be done. Not my will. Not Jess's will. Not your will. But thy will be done. Subjection. Subjection. There's a third element to true humility. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Giving thanks. Praising His name for what He has revealed. And to whatever degree it has a positive or negative effect upon our character, upon who we are, upon what we do. All the, We praise God for the truth, for the grace to submit to it. We praise His name in all Things and for everything. Not just when we like it. And like I said, it may be positive about yourself. It may be a strong suit you have. It may not be. It may actually be a negative aspect of your character. Something that you're very deficient and weak in. Will you praise His name? Will you say, yes, that's me, Lord. That's me. I'm a man that is very, very susceptible to greed. I'm a man very susceptible to sexual sin. I'm a man very susceptible to bitterness, venge, revenge, and anger. I'm someone very susceptible. Let's get down to some brass tacks. Laziness. In productivity. I'm very susceptible to letting others do what is my responsibility. Lord, I agree with you. But you must also learn to rejoice, my brothers and sisters, 
in those strengths. Praise your name, God, that you have given me so much grace that I'm not tempted in this area. I'm not tempted to greed. I'm not tempted to, 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 to revenge and hatred. Lord, you've given me pity for that person. You've given me a sorrow and a pity that I'm not, it, that does not originate with me. Praise your name. God, that what I see in myself, what others testify to seeing in me. You know, that's what leaders are, right? If you can't see positive character traits in your leaders like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 3, if you can't see these character traits of leadership in the elders and in the deacons and in those church officers, guess what? They ought not be there. You know, you can't just mask everything over and, oh, well, we love old brother Bob. Just let him be an elder. Let him be a deacon. We just going to let him do his thing because you know what? He's a good old boy. And never once possessing those graces that God puts and establishes in someone's life to be a leader. And we know there's no perfect leader. And you know that's not what I'm saying and advocating. But I think you get the gist of where I'm going. Let me give you an illustration. Kind of tie some of these thoughts together. Well, let's, let's say... That you are a genius. Let's say you're a genius. And, and that, that's a name that I, I never was called growing up. It's genius. My parents never called me a genius. In fact, no teacher ever called me a genius. And none of my friends ever called me. They recognized that in my life, that I was not a genius. But let's say, for the sake of the illustration... That you're a genius. And let's say that you possess all of the talents, the qualities, the wisdom of the mind of an engineering mind to build the greatest edifice the world has ever seen. You have the talents, the skills, the know-how, the ability, the, 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 the vision to see it to accomplish it, and to oversee the construction of it. To teach everybody how it must be done to build an edifice that is the, 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 the greatest wonder in all of humanity. Humility is this. You may possess all those traits, all those characteristics, all that wisdom, all that understanding. Humility will rejoice over someone else with either equal or lesser talents and gifts to accomplish that great wonder of the world and humility will praise him for it. He doesn't have to do it. Though he possesses all the... And it doesn't mind acknowledging, I possess all the skills and talents to build this, but I am so rejoicing over my brother who has built this. Praise the talents and the gifts God's given him. Praise God for that. That's, that's humility. Humility is not ignoring the fact of what God's given to you. It's not ignoring the strengths in your life. It's not ignoring the weaknesses in your life. It's praising God for who you are. 
for what you are and for what He is doing. And humility accepts that. It subjects itself to it. It admits that. And it acknowledges and rejoices that God is in control. That God is sovereign. That God is the one who has granted and gifted and blessed all that you are. And He's the one working out all of the weaknesses and the deficiencies in your life. God is, praise His name. We don't need to put on airs, do we? We don't need to put on airs because the pre, this presupposition that we need to address and, and deal with, brothers and sisters, is that presupposition that we are in great need and exhibit great weaknesses. You cannot pray this petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil if you don't understand just how needy and weak you really are. You can't pray it. You cannot pray it if you pray it not knowing and understanding to some degree just how needy you are. Guess what? You pray as a hypocrite. You pray. You pray the words, but you don't really believe you're in need. You pray the words, but you don't really believe that God needs to deliver you. you. You pray the words, but you don't truly believe that you are that person. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy because you're acting contrarily to what the revealed will of God is. And that's what we're going to look at. And that's why we want to build and support this presupposition. First, here's our first point. The first point that we see in this petition is our ever-present weaknesses. Our ever-present weaknesses. If we are going to learn to pray this petition correctly with humility, we must acknowledge, brothers and sisters, that we have in our lives an ever-present weakness. And weaknesses. Ever present. You know what that means? It means those weaknesses are going to be with us as long as we're in this life. Those weaknesses are going to be with us as long as we take air into our lungs on this side of death. Does everybody understand? It's the cold, this is what I called it, it's the cold, hard truth about who we really are without God's strengthening and sanctifying presence in our lives. Now, I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I don't want you to see or hear me say the cold, hard truth about, uh, about who we really are without God's strengthening and sanctifying presence. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking to Christians. This petition is a petition that Christians should pray. And should pray with an understanding mind and a humble heart. That is, brothers and sisters, without that ever-present strength and sanctifying of God's grace, our weaknesses will be manifested, exposed, and highlighted in everything we do. What is it? What is it that overrides those weaknesses. It's God's presence and strength daily in our lives. 
That is, the grace bestowed upon us daily where God actually strengthens us possibly in that trial, that moment of trial, that moment of temptation, that moment of decision. And we're going to talk about the nature of temptation next week or as we go along. I'm going to cover that. I'm not going to do it today. But there comes that moment when there's a decision to be made, where there is a trial going on in our heads, where we are coming to terms with, do I do this? Or maybe I should do that. Where we must make a decision. And when we decide in a way that brings God the ultimate glory. That fits with His Word. That highlights the truth and teaching of Scripture. It is by God's strength and grace. It's by God's strength and grace. His presence. His presence in our lives. And that's why... We have a section of teaching by our Westminster fathers that says, but sometimes God would what? Redraw His presence. He redraws the strength. Now, He does this for many reasons. Now, I'm not going to go through them. But in His sovereign will, whether it be because of our own sin and haughtiness we've cultivated, or whether it because he was ready now to move us to another, um, uh, another stage of sanctification where our hearts can be more broken and drawn more to him, he does what? He withdraws that strength of presence and grace, and then we learn what? We learn the corruptions of our own heart. I'm going to give you an example. That you might be able to relate to. How many of you have been Christians for some period of time? And you had a tremendous Sunday morning. I mean, you came with attention to detail. You came with ears ready to hear. You came with a heart ready to receive. You came with a mouth ready to eat up the spiritual food that God placed before you with a just ferocious spiritual appetite. I mean, you were on cloud nine. You were actually singing with the hymns in tune. I mean, you just didn't mind who was watching and listening. I mean, you were in the moment of God's glory and power. And yet the next morning, you barely got out of bed and you sinned greatly. Grievously. And you go, how does that happen? How can a Christian, saved by God's grace, have such a mountaintop Sunday and turn right around in the early part of the week and have such an epic moral failure? How does that happen? Brothers and sisters, it happens because of what we will learn in this petition. God in His sovereignty sometimes will withdraw that sweet grace strength of presence in order that we would learn the own strength of our sin and corruption. You know why? Teach humility. I'm going to go to a passage of Scripture, but I'm going to mention it now. This is exactly what Paul testify to about God's deed to him. 
or God's work of grace to him. Paul said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And he tells us, why was that thorn in the flesh given? So that I wouldn't be prideful. So that I wouldn't exalt myself above God's strength and power. So I wouldn't want people to look at me rather than God's power and strength. You see, brothers and sisters, if we're going to learn to pray this prayer, we're going to have to recognize that we have a need for God to constantly watch over us, fellowship with us, strengthen us, serve us, commune with us because we are never stronger. We are never more uh, able and willing to fight sin than when God is with us in strength and glory and power, when He is sustaining us and supplying us with that sovereign, saving grace where we can buff and fight off temptations and sins. And sometimes God does what? Sometimes God shows us you're not as strong as you think you are because, see, you've had a season of very good things. You've had a season of plenty. You've had a season of great victories. But I, and you say, well, you know, I mean, you've got all the appearance of humility. But what does God do? God just begins to withdraw that strong, sovereign grace. And guess what? The decision you make doesn't honor Him. You find yourself being angry over stupid things, silly things. You find yourself being enraged and easily embittered toward others. You find yourself becoming very susceptible to greed, to materialism. You find yourself becoming more and more susceptible. And those are warning signs on our dashboards, brothers and sisters. These are warning signs to say, ah, what is going on? Oh God, don't forsake me. Don't leave me. Come to me. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me. Because without you, without you, I am destitute of good. Destitute of good. Void of good. I'm no good without you. We are constantly, brothers, let me give you some words to think about. What this means is, and this is how we should see ourselves, that we are, Without and apart from God's saving graces, mildly influencing and swaying us and moving us, brothers and sisters, we're prone to sin. We're prone to it. That, now, now listen, I'm not saying that you sin. We know that. I'm saying prone to sin. You know what that word means, prone? That you want to do it. You want to do it. You want to do wrong. You want to be right, even if God's wrong. You want to be justified. You want to be made the best. You want to be the most acknowledged. You are, brothers and sisters, prone to sin and disposed to sin. We are attracted to it. We are attracted to it. And this is never more true about us than when God does what? When God eases up a little bit. And God just eases up a little bit. And that's why you can see in your life the ups and downs. The ups and downs. 
doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means you have great need of sanctification, as all Christians do. The great need of being sanctified, the great need. And, and, and talking about sanctification, let me just mention this one truth. Sanctification, brothers and sisters, is not you trying harder. Doesn't mean you don't try. And it doesn't mean you don't give it effort. It doesn't mean you don't give it a great effort, but that's not sanctification. Sanctification is the enjoyment of God's presence, His communion, to be in His presence, to never want to leave His presence, to never want to be without Him. And when we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. When we die to ourselves and cling to Him, He cleanses us from our defilements. He washes us and He makes our thinking clearer. He makes our eyesight purer. Right? Because what, what the light, the eyes are the light of the body, the light of the soul. Eyes don't wander and gaze and look upon those things that are defiling and corrupting. Because our God is guiding our eyesight like Job who says, I have made a covenant with thine eyes that I might not sin against thee. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about the willingness to sin apart from God's presence. David's sin with Bathsheba's Telling is teaching. It's for our example. What led to the man that God said, he's a man after my own heart, what led him to a place where he was willing to take another man's wife and subject that man to such danger he'd be murdered? What would bring that man to that condition? Well, brothers and sisters, the text tells us that it was a time when the kings went to war. There was a time that the kings were to uphold their responsibility and leadership and lead the people to battle and defense. But what was David doing? David wasn't leading his people. He wasn't taking responsibility. He wasn't doing those things that he was called to do as a shepherd king of Israel. He was at home lounging while his army did all the work. He would separate himself from those responsibilities. From And where was the blessing? Where was the blessing? Where would David find contentment and fulfillment? It wasn't in that one night stand with Bathsheba. It wasn't in that moment act of sex that he found fulfillment. It was where he should have been. Leading his armies to victory. Being the shepherd king of Israel. Demonstrating to the people of God that God is our shield and defender. God is our buckler. He will not allow one hair on our head to be harmed. He will protect and watch over us if we serve and glorify His name. That's where David should have been. That's not where he was. He put that off. He decided to stay home. 
and to watch TV and lounge around the house until one day he gazed upon a beautiful woman bathing nude on the roof of the house. That's not where she was not doing anything wrong, actually. That's typically where they did it. And yet he lusted after her. Well, how did he get there? Brothers and sisters, he's got there by withdrawing himself from the presence of God and the means of grace, the place of God's blessing, the place of blessing. You see, brothers and sisters, the place of blessing may be a very hard place to be, but it's the right place to be. We in American Christianity want to avoid hardships like leprosy and the plague. I'm not saying we ought to run to it, but we have the tendency, the first thing we do when we find trouble or the first thing we find difficulty, we want out of it, we want nothing to do with it, and that's just not the way God's planned it. We have failed with humility to subject ourselves to it, right? Right? To admit it. Subjection. And fail to praise God for it. It's a failure. We're willing to sin. What I mean by that is we're willing to put ourselves in the arena of temptation. We know there's things we shouldn't be doing. We know that, well, if I don't do this, that is, you know, if I, you know, if I, you know, if I don't make use of the means of grace and I go over here, we're willing to do that. We're willing to put ourselves in jeopardy. Why do we do that? Why are we willing to do that? Because we have way too much confidence in ourselves. Way too much confidence in ourselves. Maybe it's our upbringing. Maybe it's, well, you know, nothing bad's happened to me yet. I mean, I'm not an adulterer, right? You know, I mean, I haven't robbed a bank. You know, I haven't, you know, I haven't, you know, murdered anyone. And yet, that same person who may admit to those things reeks with slothfulness, reeks with irresponsibility, reeks with arrogance, reeks with bitterness, reeks with these things that are not pleasing to God and all demonstrate, all demonstrate a willingness to do what? Sin. Willingness to sin. We will put ourselves into temptations. We won't avoid them. We will run headlong into them. And that's us, brothers and sisters. I'm trying to paint a picture that is biblical for us to, 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 to agree with so that our love for God and Christ is magnified. You don't just need Him to eat your cereal in the morning. You know, we say, oh, I need God for the heavy things of life. No, you need Him to eat cereal in the morning. You need Him to get up out of bed. He needs to be your motivation for daily breathing. I'm going to bring you glory today, God. I'm going to bless your name. And I'm going to fail, but when I do, I'm going to trust, I'm going to rest, I'm going to draw near to you, and you promise to draw near to me. You know, when Paul wrote his letters, he didn't write, oh, he didn't write to the despicable sinners at Ephesus. You despicable professing believers in Jesus Christ, you worms. He didn't say that, did he? He said, oh, to the saints, 
to the saints at Ephesus. Grace and peace be to you in Christ Jesus and God our Father. Were they perfect? No. They had problems. But what does Paul do? And Paul says, oh, beloved, you are saints that need to come to grips with who you are in Christ. It needs to come to grips with your weaknesses and strengths. So that you can pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We will justify our sin. We will excuse our sin in order not to give it up. This is true of us. Do you disagree? Disagree? Are you better than this? Am I not describing you? Well, I'm only describing Christians. I'm only describing Christians because you may be an unbeliever here this morning and you don't agree with it. You think you're better than you really are. And it won't be until, I'm going to tell you something, if that's you, it's not going to be until you're broken. Then Christ will save you. He didn't save the righteous. Christ didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. Came for the sinner, the destitute, the adulterers, fornicators. He came for the liars. Came for the thieves. He came for the, 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 the down and out, the despised of this world. That's who he came for. That's who he came for. Let's look at one passage of Scripture and we're going to wrap up this morning. I certainly have given you enough to think about. Amen. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Oh, I have about half a dozen scriptures to look at, but guess what? We're not going to get to them. And that's very typical of me. I get carried away sometimes. This is why I want to bring this passage to your attention. As we begin to, first of all, all right, first of all, here's what we've got. Right? Here's what we're doing. The presupposition you need to have is the truth about yourself. If you're going to pray this petition rightly, have I convinced you? Have I been able to persuade you with the Word of God that these things, this trait and this, this nature of corruption, this, this, uh, this strength apart from God's presence, and overriding grace and overriding presence. Without that, do you realize that you would be destitute? You would leave the faith. Do you believe that? Because you have to believe that. If you're going to pray this petition and you're going to pray it with humility, you've got to recognize that it's only because of God's almighty sovereign grace that I can even stand and pray this blessed petition. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Apart from that, I will run headlong to it. I will sin. I will delight to sin. I won't repent of sin. And I will do it and do it and do it and do it. And I will seek to do it more without God's saving power and strength. Do you believe that? That's you. 
That's me. But now I want you to recognize something. God isn't leaving us in this condition. There is a doctrine called sanctification. Whereby, by His presence, His ever-powerful, sovereign presence, He comes along beside you. You know, you say, well, God's with me. I know He's with you. But guess what? There is a degree where God comes even more. And He says, I'm here for you. I'm with you. It's, it's in a heightened, it's an awareness, it's a spiritual awareness. I mean, brothers and sisters, it's like coming to worship and worship. I mean, you ever, man, I felt closer to God and I can't explain it. I'm not going on it. I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, I felt God's presence. No, I don't want it. But there is an awareness and there's a heightened sensitivity that I'm walking with God. I'm going to show you how you get there. I'm going to show you how you know that. Because it's not mysticism. Look at Romans 5. How do we know God's drawing near to us and we're drawing near to God? Look at verses 1 through 5. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, that saving grace, sovereign grace, in which we stand. That's our position. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, our sufferings, our trials, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And this hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Us. Now let's put some practicality to this theology. God reserves the sovereign right to test all His children. And I'm going to talk about test and temptation later. Okay, but just follow with me. And there are going to be, there are going to be professing believers who have a problem with that. How dare he? And they're going to accuse God of causing them to sin. And I'm not going to fully address why that is heinous and wrong, to say, but to say it's wrong. But God reserves the right to test all his children. And it is the test, beloved. That provides the context or the construct of our decisions. Right? 1 Corinthians 10.13, right? We have not been tempted with any temptation but that which is common to man. That is, all the ways in which we would be tested and tempted are common to the one sitting next to you. Nothing special. No special treatment. But God goes even further than that. Paul says, but it's God who does not allow any to be tempted beyond what they are able to bear. And that He, is willing, that he also provides a way out of the temptation. Now, listen to me, brothers and sisters. You're going through life. 
you're going to come to, it may be right after church, it may be at lunch, it may be this afternoon, it may be tomorrow, it may be all of those things. You're going to be presented with a, t- with a, a decision. That decision is going to be, will I glorify God? Will I do the will of God or will I do my will? That's the decision. That's the two points of the decision. Will I glorify God or will I glorify myself? The choice you make, listen to me, look. Knowing that the tribulation brings about Perseverance, that is, this tribulation, that is, when we respond in the strength of God's grace, according to the will and knowledge of God, when we respond in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God, what does it produce in our lives? Perseverance, that is, one grace leads to another grace. When I demonstrate obedience... To this decision that needs to be made. That grace. That blessing of God. Is enhanced and fortified in my life. That the grace of perseverance is granted and gifted and given to me. So that I may what? Be encouraged to continue on in obedience. Alright. Let's not stop there. Brings about perseverance. And perseverance. Proven character. What's character? Character is the revelation of your decision. Of your decision. Character is the outworking of the decision. The trial you went through in your head. Okay, well, if I, could I get away with it if I did it? Probably wouldn't be pleasing to people. Wouldn't edify the name of God. Wouldn't edify the name. Could I get away with it? No, no, I'm going to do this over you. The trial that you go through to make decisions. And justify the wrong ones. Okay? And the willingness to stand strong in the good ones. No matter what. (laughs) No matter what. Character is whatever decision you make. Now here we're talking about proven character. But your character is either going to be that of weak. He's a weak person. She's a weak person. Hot today, cold tomorrow. Up and down, all over the place. You know why we call a thief a thief? Listen, if you came to my house, and and you stole my weed eater, because you needed money so badly, you didn't was embarrassed to ask for money, and you took my weed eater, and you went out and sold it, I wouldn't consider you a thief. The Bible says, don't treat that man that steals for bread in the same way as a man that steals for profit. I would want to know why. How could I help you, brother? But now, if you have been characterized yourself as stealing, 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 guess what you've done? What your character has revealed? You're a thief at heart. You're a greedy person and lazy. You see, what Paul is saying is, listen, as God grants grace to grace, what's the grace? Obedience. First grace. Suffering. I will suffer to the God's glory. Guess what he gives us? What's the blessing of that? Obedience. Perseverance. We don't persevere because we're strong and good and, you know, we've got all the theology down pat. We persevere because God is granting to us the gift of persevering grace. 
And that perseverance leads to what? Proven character. Because in time, by God's sovereign strength and grace, we make consistently those right decisions that come to, that come to characterize us. And that characterization, that character becomes to be who we are. When people call out our names, this is what they think about. This is what they see. But notice what proven character leads to. Look at it. What does proven character lead to? Hope. Hope in what? Hope in what? Well, look. Hope in verse 2. Through whom we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace we stand. Hope in this. That I stand in God's grace. That I've been saved by grace. That I stand in grace. That He's working in me. The gifts and grace and His presence. That I would be able to face these trials and tribulations. In a way that glorifies Himself. Humbles me. And exalts His name in my life. It gives me hope that I know God. And that He loves me. Verse 5. And this hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Brothers and sisters, why do you not have the, the love of God in your life? Is it weakened because you've been making bad decisions? Bad decisions. Your hope is weak. Your character is weak. Your perseverance is weak. Why? Because you've been presented with opportunities and opportunities and opportunities and opportunities and opportunities to do what? To glorify God and enjoy Him at whatever cost. And it might, hey, guess what? It's going to cost you something. Forget this idea that you're going to be able to serve God without any cost to yourself. You must learn to do what? Pick up your cross. Carry your cross. Die to yourself. Be a follower of Christ. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. There's a battle raging in your life. Not only the ever-present need you have to understand your own weaknesses, but brothers and sisters, and we're going to look at this next week, you have an ever-present enemy trying to destroy you. Ever-present. Ever-present. Whether it's Satan, whether it's the world, or whether it's your own corruption, you've got a battles to fight. And you can't fight them apart from that sovereign grace and strength. You need to learn to pray this petition. You need to know what it means to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think this morning's a good start. Let's pray.